Um, if you're able, please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12. That's 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 12. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as, we, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately, longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. And it is a great privilege for me to introduce to you again Dr. Battle to preach this morning for us. Thank you, Brother Scott. This is always a challenge to preach here because I feel like you're all exalted (laughs) as I sink down (laughs) this wonderfully high pulpit. Do you want a chair to stand on? Some of you remember Ed Crawford, uh, one of our pastors in Edmonton. He used to move around a lot. And I remember at camp one year, they even got a little white picket fence and put it around (laughs) like that. So maybe I need something like that only to raise me up instead of to hem me in. (laughs) Well, it is a pleasure to be here and and, uh, fellowship with you once again in the Word of God. I have to figure out how this works. It slides around a little bit here. There, okay. Today we're continuing our thoughts on how to be a good witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is something we're all supposed to do, to bear witness to Christ. In uh, Paul's own life, he went to the city of Thessalonica, and God gave him a very successful time there. He was only there a few weeks but when he left, and he left under duress, he chased out of town basically, when he left, there was a church that had been established already, made up of converted Jews and also Gentiles who had joined that new little church. They didn't have a building, obviously. They uh, met in homes probably, and they had just, uh, just the beginnings, really, of a, a congregation. But they were wanting to serve Christ and be loyal to Christ and continue on 
in their Christian witness, even though the authorities of the city and their neighbors and the people that lived around there were very hostile against them. And uh, they suffered various kinds of persecution, but they still kept meeting. They still kept faithful. And this showed in Paul's mind, as we saw in chapter 1 earlier, this showed the fact that God had chosen them. Paul says, I know God chose you because of how you have been faithful to the gospel, how you heard the gospel, how you received it, and how you're being faithful. And that the only way to explain it is that God chose you, and this is God's work. So Paul was giving thanks for them in Thessalonica. But there were some people in Thessalonica that were criticizing Paul now because Paul had run away and left them, you might say, uh, holding the bag there in Thessalonica. And they said, well, he just came here for a short time. When it got hot, he left. And now he's leaving us here to bear the brunt of this persecution. And maybe, maybe actually he, he isn't uh, in this for God's glory as much as maybe he's getting something out of this. Maybe he took some kind of advantage of us. And there were grumblings against Paul. So in chapter 2 of this book and chapter 3, Paul is responding to that criticism. And he's saying, no, you know that when we visited you, how, how we behaved among you and why we're no longer able to be with you. And he explains that later on. But in this passage, he's talking still about when he was with them. He says, remember, and you do remember, that when we were with you, it was God's work and we were doing God's work, not for our own benefit. And so I like to compare what Paul did there in Thessalonica with what we're supposed to be doing today. And we live in a society, uh, we're not being really persecuted much uh, for our faith, although those days may come. Uh, we often are criticized. Uh, if you give a Christian witness on, uh, well, I don't know, on the internet, uh, you'll get a few criticisms. <laughs> uh, and fortunately, those people that are typing this are in somebody's basement far away and uh, don't physically attack you. But uh, those days may come, and you may get uh, your windows broken, your car tires slashed, and, and other things more serious than that uh, before it's all over. So it's good for us to think about these Thessalonians and how God bore witness to them and how we should be bearing witness in our day. Now we saw in the first few verses of chapter 2 when Paul recounts his, his time with them that as he shared the gospel with them, he was, uh, what should we say, bold. He was bold. And we see that, for example, here in uh, uh, verse 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 2 of First Thessalonians. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. And then another aspect of his witness he goes into next was the concern that he had for them. It says, we were concerned about you and this and sincere. And this is shown actually at the very beginning. You know that our coming to you was not in vain. And then look at verse 3. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, 
nor was it in deceit. It was sincere. We didn't do it to uh, get money from you, he says in verse 5, not a cloak for covetousness. But in verse 4, he says, we were not pleasing men, but God who is testing our hearts. So we've seen in these verses already his boldness and his sincerity as he presented to them the gospel of God. Now, in the next verses, what I'd like for us to especially look at this morning is, is an, another list, you might say, a short list of things that characterized his ministry that we should be doing today. And Paul says, you remember this, and he divides those three things up in this text by that phrase, you remember. We notice here in verse 5, he starts out and he says, uh, neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know. So he introduces that new topic with this, as you know. You know when we were there. If you think about it, if you remember, you know that we did not flatter you, but we were humble in your presence. We also notice in verse 9 that Paul was generous when he witnessed to them, and they remembered that. In verse 9, you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. And then as a third topic that he introduces here, he was concerned about them. He had a genuine concern for them, as it says in verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved among you. And so in these three different characteristics, he recalls the fact that they remembered this. And, and uh, we have to think about that. When we witness to Christ, people are going to remember us. And they're going to know what we're like when we do things. Just talking to the Westons a minute ago, and you put something on Facebook and it stays forever. And uh, I mentioned uh, when uh, I had my birthday a few years back, my kids took me to the shooting range for part of my birthday present. And there was a picture of me, you know, and it's on the Internet now, you know. So uh, I saw it just the other day and thought, well, if there's ever a mass murderer in Tacoma, you know, uh, there's one suspect up there that's already shown his, his uh, killing instinct. <laughs> so watch out. All right. I should tell you I'm not packing today. I'm safe. You're safe. I hope someone is, so. All right. I won't ask you to raise your hand, though. All right. Well, people remember you, and they remember what you were like. And that's something we need to remember. You know, you might say, well, I, was, I had a bad day yesterday, but it doesn't matter. You know. Well, another few weeks later, somebody's going to remember that, and it does matter. So how we act, it should be, we should be able to have people remember us from previous times we saw them and have a good memory, a memory of someone that's not selfish, someone who is not quick off the, uh, you know, to lose his temper, uh, someone who doesn't gossip about others, you know, all the different things that people do in their normal daily life, they should remember us well. And Paul says, when I was with you, you remember what I was like. So the first thing he talks about here uh, for our consideration today is in verse 5, you remember the fact that Paul was humble among them. And this is verses 5 through 8. 
Do you not, uh, do you not remember? This doesn't look like the right verse, and it's not the right verse because it's 2 Thessalonians. There we go. Here we go. Sorry. Uh, 2.5. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. He says, we didn't lord it over you like we could have done. In verse 5, he, he says, uh, well, actually, uh, verse 6, Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as po- apostles of Christ. Might have made demands is actually the idea of, we might have been weighty persons. Uh, recently, uh, I saw, actually, I looked it up, because I remember reading it before, how some people make great weighty demands on people. And this is, back, you have to go back to a few years to the election of 2016. And in the, in the uh, I forget which major, I think it was Time, in Time Magazine, yes, had an article where they referred to uh, this requirement that was sent out. And now I'm, this is probably done by all politicians. I'm not picking on one in particular, but this is just one that I saw. And in this case, it was Hillary Clinton had sent to the uh, committee where she was going to be making a fundraising speech for a charity. And uh, she had, here's what you're expected to do for the speaker. And first, the fee was $225,000. And then, uh, secondly, she, uh, she and her staff had to be put up in a, one of the, the big hotel there, the big five-star hotel, and the presidential suite, plus so many extra other rooms in addition. Uh, plus, they had to be flown there in a, a, a jet, private jet, uh, at least a Learjet 450. Now, I don't know what, what that is, but it's a big jet, right? So, and that was the minimum. And then all the phone bills and internet bills were to be covered as well, and all the food and everything else, and the drinks and all that. And so, uh, but that was a requirement, and this was a, a letter sent out to this committee, and it got published in, in the newspapers at the time. And I was thinking, you know, you'd have to be a pretty deep pocket charity to pay for this speaker to come, and I wonder, you know, if, if that speaking engagement would result in more income to this charity. I, w- I was just thinking that this charity probably lost money on that deal unless uh, it was a tremendous offering that was given. But uh, that's... That's the opposite of what Paul did, you know. And, uh, you know, preachers don't do that. When, uh, when I came here, I didn't send a letter of, you know, have to have a limousine pick me up at home and bring me, you know. And our ministers, our BP ministers, we don't live that way. And we don't want to live that way. And the apostles didn't live that way. Now, maybe, you know, the Pope does. I don't know. I've never invited the Pope to speak. Uh, 
Maybe they have requirements like this. But Paul says to be in weight, in weight, being heavy, to be heavy, burdensome. And we could have because we were apostles of Christ. And so we could have demanded that you treat us with all luxury while we were there in your midst. And whatever money and effort you would have spent on our being with you is far less than the spiritual blessing you would have received by receiving the gospel. And that's true, actually, when you think about it, that the gospel is worth more than all the money in the world. So Paul says, I could have demanded all these things from you as an apostle of Christ, but we didn't do that. And he points out here in verse uh, 6, as he says, we didn't seek glory from men or anything else from you. But, and then this goes on to say, how we were humble. We weren't like proud leaders that deserve all this special treatment. Not at all. Rather, he said, we were humble. In verse 7, we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Now, most mothers don't demand things from their little babies, but they give. And he talks here about a nurse and um, this nurse, nursing mother could nurse other women's children, but she loves and cares for her own child. And it uses that expression there, her own children. And so she comes home, and here she has her own little baby, and she stays up late when he's sick. She takes care of him. She wakes up in the middle of the night when he's hungry. And this is how Paul says, we were with you. We didn't make demands on you, but rather we were gentle toward you. We were serving you and in a humble way we came in your midst it's wonderful to see how the apostle paul here gives an example for us in our witness for christ so when people come to us or we we talk to people about the lord it should be in an attitude of humility and service not of superiority and, well, I can give you a minute of my time. And uh, then you, give, you pronounce what they should do and expect that they will certainly do it because of the high respect in which you are held. Uh, that is not how we give the gospel. We give it from a humble heart that God has blessed me, and this is what he says, and uh, he can bless you too. But we do it as a mother with her children. So that's the humility that Paul had as he gave the gospel. I'd like you also notice, to notice his generosity. And this has already been shown in the fact he could have been in weight and he wasn't. But also look here in verse 9. Here's something else they remember about him. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you we preach to you the gospel of God. Paul had a right to an income while he lived among them, and he had a right to receive from them money for his own support and for the support of the others who were with him and who were also helping him in the ministry. He had the right to expect that, but he didn't, didn't get it from them. And he didn't ask for it. Rather, he says here, he labored day and night, with labor and toil. 
And it's in the plural there. So along with him, of course, were his companions, uh, Silas and Timothy. And they labored along with Paul. And, of course, we know from other places that he was uh, translated in the King James, a tent maker. That word seems to be like a leather worker, but somebody who sewed uh, things together with his hands. And, and uh, you would get calluses, you know, you know, it's hard to sew through leather and stiff cloth and things like that, making uh, uh, heavy fabrics. Uh, but that's what he did, and he did it professionally. He, he was good at it, and uh, so were his friends. And I love that picture of the praying hands, you know. Uh, you, you've seen that, that uh, um, what do they call it? Anyway, artwork <laughs> of uh, the praying hands of Durer, right? And uh, uh, it's supposed to be this old man praying uh, with gnarled, calloused hands. And in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul, when he preaches to the elders there in Miletus, he says, he, he says, these hands have labored. And he held his hands probably up in the air and they could see the, the creases and the wrinkles and the scars on his hands. These hands have labored. So Paul did that, even though they should have supported him so he could give full time to preaching and, and uh, teaching and praying and so forth, uh, he labored. And he labored night and day. This candle didn't go out at night like the woman in Proverbs. You know, he, he labored at night. And then toil and labor. It was like uh, two words there to add on to the intensity of this are labor and toil. Uh, one translation says toil and moil. <laughs> and the two Greek words are very similar. It's like a little play on words there but it was hard it was not pleasant but Paul did it so that he would not be indebted to them financially but that he could preach freely preach the gospel freely and uh, if you have just a second you can turn back a few pages to Philippians chapter 4 where Paul talks about this experience at a later time the uh, First Thessalonian, uh, the Thessalonian epistles were written during his second missionary journey. And then here, uh, Philippians was written later on after the third journey and after he was in prison. And so this is several years later. But he says about this little church in Philippi that was right next to Thessalonica, chapter 4 and verse 16, he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent Got to read this here. You sent aid once and again for my necessities. So while he was there, the little church in Philippi that he had just started earlier sent him two different times money to help support him and, and the fellow workers. So he was grateful for that support. But he did not insist that the church pay him a wage worthy of, of his labor. And uh, he did it freely. Now, that doesn't mean all the preachers ought to never get a salary. Obviously, Paul says later that the church should do this, and it's right and proper that they do, and that the minister is worthy of his support. So don't tell Brother Titu that he should, you know, forego his salary now that we've looked at this verse. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's, 
it's good for us and it's good for the Lord's testimony that his ministers be supported by those whom they serve in the Lord. But here, when we give out the gospel, our first thought isn't for what we get out of it, is it? It's what we can give, that we are giving the message of God. And as we witness to people, that should be our desire, to benefit them, not to make us feel better, but that they might feel better, literally, forever. Paul was generous. And we see finally that Paul was concerned. He was concerned about them. And this is something they knew as well. In verse 10, you are witnesses and God also. That's the highest witness. It's almost like an oath that he is taking there. God is witness. What I'm saying is absolutely true. How devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now here we see the concern of Paul, and he uses a very similar expression to what he used before. Before he said, as a nursing mother with her own children. And now he says, as a father, in verse 11, as a father does his own children. And it's not just his children, his own children. He shows the great love that a father has for his own children. And just as the nursing mother was concerned for her nursing infant and taking care of it, so the father in this verse is concerned for his children, that they would be provided for, that they would be brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that they would be able to have a successful adulthood and be prepared for all the trials and tribulations of life that they'll face and be able to make their mark in the world. And as a father brings up his children, his own children, that's the concern Paul had for these people here in Thessalonica. And it's a genuine concern. Sometimes you can tell if people care about other people or not. And uh, a lot of people really don't care what happens to other people. They're just concerned about themselves. And this is something that's natural to sinful human heart, to have a desire for our, our own comforts, our own uh, pleasures, our own provision. And really, we don't care what happens to anybody else. Uh, that's their problem. Well, here, Paul says, we should have a concern about others. Paul said elsewhere that he was a debtor to the Greeks and to the Jews, that he had an obligation to share with them the gospel. And when we see someone else who doesn't know Christ, we have an obligation. We're indebted to tell them, to let them know. And Paul had that concern because we do care what happens to other people. And this is something that we need to develop as Christians. Uh, sometimes that's referred to as uh, a love, that you have a desire for the good of someone else, even at your own expense. And so Paul shows here that he had that genuine love and care and concern for the people. Remember what it said in, in uh, Acts when Paul got to Athens and saw the whole city wholly given to idolatry? It says his spirit was stirred within him. 
Now, sometimes I get stirred up because people use bad arguments. You know, and I know that that's, that's a bad argument, and I know the answer, and I get all stirred up about that. But it's sort of on a technical, theoretical level. I really don't care about the people that are talking about that argument. It's more the argument itself. And we get involved in that, you know, and back and forth. But uh, Paul said when he saw those idols, that it wasn't he, his spirit was disturbed within him because all these idols had very poor theoretical basis. Uh, no, he was concerned because all these people were worshiping these idols and were lost and uh, without Christ, without hope in the world. And so what is his response? His response is to talk to these people. It wasn't to go around smashing the idols, but it was to talk to the people who were worshiping the idols. That's where the problem is. It's not the idols themselves. It's the people that Paul was concerned about. And if the people come to God, then they're going to get rid of the idols. But uh, that's something that that concern that we should have. When we see somebody say something terrible, uh, there's a lot of that, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Well, I won't get into that, but sometimes uh, you go on YouTube and you see these people spouting off, and you think, good night, you know, and then you have the debates. And you get involved in the arguments, but the people, that's what Paul was looking at. Look at the person that's saying these things. And that's a heart that needs God. That's a heart that needs to repent and come to Christ. And that person is lost without Christ. So Paul had that concern as a father for his own children. So as we witness to people, I trust that Paul's example there in Thessalonica will be an encouragement to us, that we will see people in need of the gospel, we'll be concerned about them, that we'll be generous with our, with our time and with our efforts as we talk to people and witness for Christ, and support with our money those who are going forth with the gospel as we prayed for the PMU and missionaries and uh, the, the outreach of the gospel here in this country, and that we would be humble and not expect people to give us all kinds of glory and money for what we're doing, but rather uh, do it for love for Christ. May God give us a faithful and good witness for him. Let us pray. Our Father, we give thanks for the privilege to bear witness to Christ. We thank you that the Apostle gave us such a wonderful example here in his ministry in Thessalonica. And Lord, we pray as we bear witness for Christ today and as you have called us by your gospel, by your truth to follow you and to bear witness, we pray that we also will be uh, generous, that we will be concerned, uh, that we will be humble as we give forth the gospel of our Lord, and that you would bless that outreach by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.